Welcome to Scholars and Sense. It's the podcast that takes a deep dive into the issues of the day. We do so with thoughtful conversation, and we rise above the noise and talking points. With the help of my colleagues, we get to the heart of the matter. I'm Bill Bennett, alongside my co-hosts, Conrad Black and Victor Davis Hanson. Conrad, Victor, let's jump in. The thing that caught my eye this morning, and uh, if uh, I guess, Conrad, this is to you primarily, but what do they call it, the Apple News uh, out in yeah. Hong Kong? Shut down, is that right? And this is the Chinese government shutting yeah, down. Yeah, and, and they uh, smashed up the office of the Epoch Times about six weeks ago. Uh, yeah, it, and it, all of this is in violation of their treaty with Britain on uh, you know over Hong Kong. You know to to maintain the basic freedoms for fifty years. Now it's one thing to crush the. Uyghurs, one thing to crush the Tibetans and chase out the Dalai Lama, but just tearing up, in effect, a treaty with one of the permanent members of the Security Council and one of the world's major countries, the United Kingdom, is is a different order of belligerency and outrage perpetrated by the People's Republic. And I think we should take note of that. I mean, if they're going to do that to the British, no one should be any in any doubts about what they might be happy to do to the Americans if they thought they could. Don't they want respectability in the uh, world of opinion, uh, the standards set by our president uh, in his trip to Europe, uh, the great incentive for these people not to misbehave, China, Russia, is that uh, the rest of the world, Europe, will think less of them. Um, I, I ask that uh, with some uh, cynicism in my question. There's no sign of it in what we heard in the platitudes. I must say, more egregious from the Europeans than from uh, the American side in, in uh, Cornwall last week. I mean, I, I thought that, I think, and I've had this bugbear for quite a while, the greatest crisis the West has is the virtual neutralization of Germany. It, it, is all, it has been since Bismarck unified that the most powerful country in Europe but uh, since he was fired in 1890, it has not behaved responsibly in that role. And it still isn't. I mean, uh, Merkel has shut down her nuclear program, capitulated to the Greens, made Germany an energy vassal of Russia, which is a much weaker country and has less than half the GDP of Germany. And and uh, and 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 is now truckling to the Chinese and and. The Germans are hearing the forest murmurs again, but not not of a belligerent type, but just that they think they have some role having been famous as warriors to be now famous as peacemakers and be an intermediary between the West and China. It's all a fantasy. And in effect, the Chinese are subtracting Germany from the Western alliance. You know, it's seriously a bigger army than Canada. You know, this is. This is Germany we're speaking about. And I mean, obviously, no one wants to go back to the days of, uh, you know, the Han and, and the terror of Europe in the first half of the 20th century. But this won't do. It, it, it's funny. A lot of the problems with the EU are really euphemisms for German problems. If Germany tomorrow said that they would contribute 2% of GDP to defense and bending instead of 1.4, whatever they do, all the other countries would fall in line. So that's really the, the problem is that other countries are afraid of Germany within the EU, and so then they emulate whatever Germany's stance is. But as far as China, Bill, I I think we're getting to a situation with the leak, for example, where all of the denials didn't work, all of the false narratives didn't work, and now we're just, we're pretty much, the world is accepting that the virus was probably engineered, and there was a prominent role of oversight 
by the Chinese military. And the best scenario was that it was an honest leak. And then we don't know what's going to come after that. But the, what I'm interested in is the Chinese attitude completely changed. And it's more effective now. It's, it reminds me of the change in Germany by 1939 or Japan by 1940 or Stalin by the early 50s. There's no pretense anymore. So I think we're going to basically China is telling us, well, what if it did leak? What are you going to do about it? And that means it could leak again. And so I, I think that they're going to be far less tentative, unapologetic. Uh, I mean, they're going to be much more unapologetic and they're going to see you're going to never let this crisis go to waste. And I think they see there's advantages in the narrative now that whatever the downside of the public relations that they engineered a virus that swept the world and destroyed the economy, there is the upside that uh, all these other countries are terrified that it could happen again and they're going to make the best strategic use out of that fact that they can. And those are technically acts of war, though. I mean, we've never seen that sort of thing, biological warfare by a great power, uh, other than when they were already at war and then started firing you know, gas canisters to each other in World War One. But the, the um, if you obviously these these reconfigurations of the great powers don't exactly uh, replicate each other. But we are we now have uh, at Cornwall, we had what amounted to the Munich phase. We had a bunch of weaklings. And um, and, and I, I hate to say this, but Biden is a somewhat undistinguished uh, version of Chamberlain with, uh, with someone else holding the umbrella for him. And, and, um, and, but if, if that's what's happening, and I don't disagree with you, Victor, um, then the Chinese will make the same mistake that the Germans and the Russians made. Eventually, they will provoke the West, the entire West. And um, if what you say is right, and I myself have been a partisan of this from early on, that not, not that they deliberately allowed the virus to escape in the first place, I don't buy into that, but that once they saw what they had, they deliberately um, tried to conceal the significance of it and deliberately in effect allowed it to be exported to the whole world uh, and did in strategic terms a remarkably agile act of improvisation which was to some degree replicated by the improvisation of the U.S. Democratic Party that saw right away they could win on this issue and that's that's what they did win on uh, but but you can't if they do it again I think uh, impatient though we are with the the slovenliness and and um, lack of courage uh, and, and just tendency to waffling and whinging of, of all the Western powers, um, it, it will it will provoke eventually a very serious reaction in all other countries combined. They will unite practically everyone against them. But if we were members of the Chinese Communist Party leadership or the People's Liberation Army, we would have this conversation right now. We would say to the effect, well, look, we not only stopped all travel in and out of Wuhan when we thought it was not in our interest to do so, but we allowed them for two weeks to go all over the world. Then we loaded the WHO so that they would say it was non-transmissible or that a travel ban would be xenophobic or racist. Then we channeled all the talking points on the left about racism and the yellow peril of the 19th century, all that stuff. And then we even had uh, people who were less than muscular in the denunciations of us and stuck to the bat theory because they had been channeling 
money to Echo Health to gain a function research in our lab, and they're not going to say anything about it because they, if they do, they're going to be incriminated. And that's what they were thinking. And they were saying, you know, once it got out, everything that happened subsequently diminished the power of our enemies and probably increased our power, at least in the short term. And that's what they're thinking. What these people don't allow for is that uh, how, how suddenly opinion can turn in a democracy. Yes, I mean, Hitler true. said in the summer of 39, uh, our opponents are worms. I saw them at Munich, but he couldn't imagine. I mean, he looked very good dealing with Chamberlain and Teladier, but once he had to deal with Roosevelt, Churchill, and Stalin, it got much more complicated. But you just compared Biden to Chamberlain. I mean, is, is the comparison to Chamberlain or is it to Roosevelt? You talked about mm-hmm. the provocation will be sufficient that the America plus the rest of the world will respond and they'll regret it like Germany and Japan did. Are you confident of that? No. I, I, okay. I, I, I think that uh, Biden's comparison of himself with Roosevelt is one of the most monstrous acts of right. uh, a repressive megalomania I, I've seen in any democratic, small D democratic leader uh, for a long time. I mean, it's nonsense. I mean, he's the most un-Rooseveltian figure you can think of. He smiles a lot. That's all. But uh, um, uh, but with that said, I think even Biden would be less delusional than Chamberlain was. I, I mean, I, I, I don't I think it is probably probably you know, if, he, if it's the Biden we remember, there is a point at which he would become a patriotic and purposeful American. Now, whether he's deteriorated to the point where I think he's coming back to that. I I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I do think the Biden family is compromised by China. I think no, that have had been the case, yeah. several financial investments in China and lobbying efforts and influence peddling. And that comes through on what little we know already of Hunter Biden's laptop. And I just think that they and then there's that tendency in Washington in the swamp to conflate corporate interest with PC cover and that we're woke and we don't want to be racist. In China, and and those people are intellectually or morally incapable of calling China out in the way that Trump finally did, or Pompeo, or Tom Cotton, or just our dissent. They're not able to do that. So, Victor, are you saying that you don't think that you have worries that he will not respond? uh, to? No, I mean, I don't think China would be wise to push it too far. And that's what Conrad's point is, because eventually, if you look at both conventional and nuclear power, nuclear deterrent we're way ahead of them for now but i do think that they're going to push the envelope as far as they can and see what happens so i think they're going to start having a lot more flights over they're already doing it but even more over taiwan clamp down on hong kong and see what and push around go into japanese airspace maybe south korea and see what what biden does and i don't yeah think they, uh, it gets a, yeah, escalating the flights into japanese airspace that would do it i think that even well, they have been they have done that. that before if i'm a general in the people's liberation army and i look at the chief of naval operations and i think this is the guy who orders a carrier force or a task force in to stop our intrusions into the waters of taiwan or japan and i see him talking about kendi and he he takes gates of fire off the recommended reading list, but he puts, you know, the how to be an anti-racist, et cetera, et cetera. That, that's what they look at. And we think yeah. that they're, they're too sophisticated to be that reductionist. And they're not. No, I, I, I Nobody is. That's, I, I, I want to tell you something. I, 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 you two, as citizens of the United States, I don't think any foreigners understand the United States, not even the British. I mean, Alistair Cook and my friend David Frost, though they were there all the time. 
didn't really understand it. They knew a lot of people in New York and Washington and Los Angeles, but that was the end of it. And, and there is a point at which uh, America speaks with a voice that isn't often heard. And, and, and its most skillful leaders manage to be both the evocator and the expression of that voice at times, as, as for example, Roosevelt did during the war. But, um, uh, and, and so I think, I agree with you, Victor. I think that's what the Chinese will do and they, and they will overstep it. But I, I doubt that they will overstep it in a way that they can't step back from it. But they'll overstep it and maybe the American people will, will push Biden aside. I, I was just writing a note. I don't want to get into other subjects. This one is very good, but I was just writing a note to what we've seen at these school board meetings around the country. Yeah, yeah. Those, those are the American people. And we may soon see this in regard to crime, uh, same kind of thing. And we could see it in regard to China. Um, yeah. I think it all depends on the midterms. I think if the Republicans pick up two or three seat majority and they take the house, it's not enough. They're going to have to have a 2010 correction of that magnitude and take the Senate to stop all this. If they do that, I think they can stop it very quickly and reduce Biden to sort of an executive order daughter and guy. But if they, if, if they cannot do that, then they're going to be in trouble. And I think they can do it. So well, I'm optimistic. Well, let me sharp, sharpen my question. If they don't do it and the Democrats remain in charge, Let's say the Republicans take the House, but not the Senate. Democrats remain in charge, but China oversteps any number of places, you know, uh, Japanese airspace, these islands, uh, viruses, whatever. Still, will will there be the right response from the U.S.? Is it possible for the Democrat Party to muster this? I I think I just read this morning uh, a piece by Bill Galston. You guys know him, right? Uh, A deep thinker, Democrat. Uh, And it's all about China and how uh, terrible it is and how provocative it is and how we need to pay attention to it. So I guess I'm saying that is, you know, that's, that's ironic because I know where I work for the last 20 years or 18 years, watching the political science experts at Stanford, the Silicon Valley people, the uh, going, the revolving door bureaucrats, both at Hoover and at, uh, Stanford and in Silicon Valley. They, this reset would have never happened if it wasn't for what they think is crazy Donald Trump, because he was sort of like a tornado that went in and got buffeted and got ridiculed in character. But once he got broke through, then there was a window and everybody for a variety of their own particular agendas followed him. So the left said, well, now we don't like Trump. He's a racist, but there's human rights problems. <laughs> with the Wiggers. And then the corporate capitalists said, well, we don't like Trump. He's disruptive. He doesn't believe in free trade. But, you know, for years, they've been appropriating my technology and they have been uh, willing me, willing against me arbitrarily in court and confiscating my profits. And then the defense. So all of that, that was his greatest achievement, Trump's, that he conflated all of those agendas united in that Trump, that the old uh, Bush, Clinton, Obama narrative that with the more concessions and magnanimity you uh, give to China, they will interpret that as kindness to be reciprocated rather than weakness to be exploited. This was the first but, point where in, my, in a long time where we've had any kind of revival of partisanship ends at the water's edge. When, yeah, when Trump, yeah, Just what Victor said, when Trump started that and warned of the Chinese challenge, Schumer actually got behind it. Now, he claimed that he wasn't doing it right and the tariffs should be done differently. But the Democrats didn't say, you, you can't, you can't, uh, you know, you can't accuse China of anything. They're our friends, other than Biden said that. For reasons yeah. we suspect about, uh, but 
yes, the American public, no matter how distracted they are with this woke nonsense, they don't want America pushed around and humiliated in the world. And they'll turn on a dime the way the British did. When Hitler badgered the president of Czechoslovakia into asking him to take over the Czech part of Czechoslovakia in March of 39, opinion changed completely in the UK. And, and Chamberlain was carried forward by it. All right. And that, so my question is, given what you said, both of you, uh, maybe particularly Victor, do we need to have a decisive political victory uh, in 2022 for the American people or the Democrat Party uh, or both to give a, a, the right response to China? Does it depend no, on that? No, but it would help. It would certainly I, I help. think so. I think the main thing. I think so. Okay. I think what it would do for the Democratic Party, those lone voices who warned in 2020 that for all Biden's victory, they didn't do very well. And the reason was that they went hardcore socialist and that didn't appeal to especially those Democratic representatives that squeaked by. I think it would give them more leverage and it would discredit the AOC people. So that's why it's important because those people, there's a few of them left, Blue Dog, I don't know, Perot voter, whoever they are, not very many a Joe Manchin type in the House, but you would make that more attractive and they could join with Republicans and getting tough on China. But for oh, AOC doesn't, if you ask her, they've got a million people in camps and we've got to be sanctioning them or we've, and they're pushing Hong Kong, she would say, well, they're making solar panels. So they're on the right side of the Green Revolution or are you sure we, we have more people in prison than they do and there, she's never going to criticize anybody of course. but the United States. Of course. But I mean, let me, let me put it this way. Can we stand up to China in two years if we need to, if there's a Democrat Senate? No, I don't okay. think so. Well, no, we, we, we can vary it. Well, though. We, we can well, be much, much more. A lot better. depends on the economy, too. If we, if we have, <laughs> if you look at the actual rate of inflation with housing prices, gas prices, major appliances, and you put that into the revised consumer price index formulation, i.e. the way we didn't do it in the 1980s and 70s. I think inflation is running about 8 or 9% right now per annum. And at that point, we're going to have a reckoning pretty soon. And there's going to well, be a but, but Victor, Bill, doesn't this make the political reckoning, uh, uh, assuming rather, you know, continued provocative behavior by the Chinese, doesn't it make it in a way easier to generate the kind of reaction we're hoping for here? Because and my own view is that, that uh, having assembled this, it's a little like the new Israeli government. They can't agree on anything except a dislike of a former leader. So the Democrats assembled that under the cover of this COVID hysteria. And, and, but now they have to govern. And, and they're like people swimming, wading around in the shallow water with this tsunami approaching of the crime, the illegal immigration on the southern border and the inflation, and, and, and they're going to be overwhelmed by it. I don't see them doing anything serious to prepare for any of that. And, oh, you're and, right. And, and, they and have, they, they, no they circumstances, just, the Republicans should win big next year. Well, they just they have two things going for them. And one is we're not Donald Trump, but he's becoming less and less an issue. And then the other is everybody, there's a racist under every American bed. And we're going to find him. You're right. They don't. They don't have an argument except racist, racist, racist. Trump, Trump, Trump. Take that away, and it's the issues of which all of their agendas pull below fifty percent. Uh, let's let's come back to the U.S. Uh, more specifically. Uh, any comments as we go? Let's go to the border. Any comments on the border? Uh, no change of policy. No second thoughts. No. 
uh, even uh, even imagining they might do a return to Mexico or a remain in Mexico policy return. Well, to well aren't we waiting for? And here I can entirely defer to you two, but in a, you know, and you're both. You know, you live fairly close to the border most of the time, but um, aren't we just waiting for public opinion to not be able to stand anymore this ludicrous spectacle of Mayorkas saying the border is closed while they can see on on television for themselves uh, unlimited numbers of people pouring across and members of the uh, the Homeland Security and the border patrol units saying we've never seen anything like this before uh, i mean it's at some point don't the public actually get really seriously upset about this that they're all they are that's 70 percent polls against biden's immigration program but the the point for them is they don't care because for them it's optics so if you never you don't send anybody down to the border and you keep saying there's not a crisis and we're gonna, we're scheduled for two million illegal crossings over a 12-month period yeah and that's their their plan. Their way, their way of thinking is: if we have four years and we can get in five, eight, ten million people, we can do to Georgia, maybe Texas, surely Arizona, what we did to Nevada, uh, New Mexico, California. We can flip them, and we can agitate for. When they're talking about changing the the voting laws, the African American community polls overwhelmingly support for driver's license. They don't have a problem. What they're trying to do is have an intersexual argument that everybody is supposed to, on the left of every different identity, support this open voting so you can get people here who are residents but not citizens to vote without having IDs that are valid. And that's what it's all about. So I think they're not going to give up. And their way of thinking, it's sort of like, maybe we can get, how far can we get call everybody a racist, a xenophobe, a nativist, and get the, what we need in before the con is up and the American people say no more. And I, I think they're just going to, they don't care about anything other than, are the optics still tolerable enough to get another two or three million in the next two years? And then, and then they just ignore the requirement that you have to be a citizen to vote. Well, I, I'm speaking in California where when you start to look at these elections, and the DMV's motor voter, I mean, we had our attorney general two years ago said 100,000 people were mailed ballots that were not qualified to have ballots. And when you have 27% of your population, like California, that was not born in the United States, not all of those people are legal residents. A sizable minority of them are not. And yet, But it, it, it won't, won't opinion objective. I agree exactly with what they're trying to do. But if you've got in the next presidential election, uh, clearly, seven or eight million people who who aren't citizens in the country, and uh, I mean, won't they require, uh, unlike the past, won't they require some um, verification that they have a right? It, to well, vote? it depends. It depends state on the state, 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 state by state. state, and that's what. But Constitution says that states shall set their own voting laws in national elections, except when the, from time to time the federal government, women's suffrage, 18-year-old vote, can step in and nationalize it. And that's why the Democrats did that. They said, we're going to nationalize it like we did to give 18-year-olds the vote. But that failed, and now it depends on the particular state. And that's why they're so eager. When I say flip, I don't mean just the electoral college. I mean, getting control of the legislatures in those, in those states so they can change the voting laws. And I think the answer to your question succinctly 
it depends on how well the Republicans can convince Mexican-American voters, African-American voters, Asian-American voters that this is not in their interest, whether competition from wages or diluting their rights as citizens by conflating them with residents, or they have different concerns. I know here, out here in my community, 90% Mexican-American, for the first time in my life, people are saying things that I never thought they would say. For example, I can't get into the dialysis clinic because they say, we've got all these people from Oaxaca State that come up illegally and they're all in line ahead of me. Or we were, do we were working really hard to get advanced placement in our high school, but we can't now because we've got an infusion of people who don't speak English or things like that. Or it, it, to be cynical, a lot of people have said, well, you know, we're getting this supplement for unemployment and then we'll stay home and work a few hours on the books and then work for cash. And now they're saying, but we got to be careful because these employers are getting a lot of the illegals that come in. You started with the work that needs to be done by Republicans. Are you yeah. suggesting some of that work is going well? I think I some of it is. I think, okay. I think it is. I think that's why... That's why the never Trumpers were such a pernicious group, because if you get rid of all of their rhetoric about Trump being crude and crass and dictatorial, which is all nothing, is that they did not like this emphasis on class, that Donald Trump was appealing to working class people. And he was yeah. essentially trying to say your class and your relation vis-a-vis -vis jobs in the world economy matters more than your race or your tribal identity. And the Democrats were terrified of that. And so were the Republican elite. They, you know, they were, let's get more capital gains cuts. Not that that's not good, but that's what they talked about. And I think Trump came in and he had, for the first time in my life, he had the ability to appeal to people who were not white, so-called right. not white, and on, on issues that working class whites were identical to them. They, they had the same views. And that was just starting to, I think, had he, I'm not criticizing him in the sense that was a revolutionary thing to do. So it's, it was very hard to find your way and how to articulate it and formulate it. But had he been a little, once he got onto it, had he been a little bit more cognizant of the amount of opposition that he incurred and how threatening that was, I think he would have been more careful in his speech because yeah. they were trying to demagogue him as a racist all the time. But even then he did better than most Republicans. I think that's something that a, a Either he next time or whoever takes his mantle could be much more, but, more successful. On but is that is that a worry, which we've all heard about the Democratic Party, that uh, more, you know, more Hispanics or Latinos voted for Trump uh, and they're worried about that as a trend in the future. That doesn't affect their view of the border because it this does, is it, it, does? it does. That's a class. Yeah. It, it, when you talk to the border, if I go up to I went up to. Stanford the other day and just looked at some of the stuff that's being posters. There's not much. It's shut down. But that open border among Hispanics is among elites, elites, politicians, lawyers, academics, activists. If you actually look at the rank and file, about half of them say, well, I have a cousin or a brother. I got to get I got to get him across the border. But it's more important to me to do that that, that border be closed. Because, okay. I mean, I picked up the and, press and I showed today. I'll just finish by saying I picked up the Fresno Bee the last week, and every single day there is X, Y, Z with a Hispanic surname got in an automobile accident and left the scene. They don't quite say that, but you can read between the lines. So-and-so ran a stop sign. So-and-so was drunk. The driver left the scene of the accident. And in every single case, the victim, 
There was a young boy who was killed crossing a, a, cyber, uh, a crosswalk in Fresno three days ago, and he was hit, and the driver took off. So the driver yes. is usually somebody of undocumented status, and the victim is a Mexican-American U.S. citizen. This is an area where I'm not well qualified, but you men are. Isn't there a growing schism here between these these illegitimate newcomers and the African American community? I mean, don't they don't the African Americans feel their status as the sort of senior minority in the country is being threatened by by these well, people? And well, it is it is because remember, affirmative yeah. action had a, a very simple logic to it when we passed the civil rights that a community that had suffered through slavery and Jim Crow had a unique claim on equality of opportunity. And all of the other groups, whether they were Mexican-American or Punjabi or Asian, they all had legitimate grievances, such as the Japanese internment or the Cholo Chuko riots in LA, whatever. But they were, they in, in comparison, were minor compared to the African-American. And then when we did this in intersectionality, we started slowly, but Obama created this word or he rebranded diversity. And diversity said, your class doesn't matter. You can be a wealthy Punjabi, you can be Oprah, you can be Jorge Ramos, you're all non-white and you make up 30% of the population. Well, what that did was it diluted the unique claims of the African-American community. And I think you're right. And especially when you're bringing in a million people a year, who the moment they walk across the border after suffering years of discrimination. And remember, this diaspora is not like the one in the 60s of northern Mexico. This is indigenous people from Chiapas, Oaxaca. When they come in, some of them don't speak Spanish. They speak a dialect that's indigenous. Uh, none of them speak English. Very few have a high school diploma. That wasn't true earlier. And uh, a lot of the people you say is, I don't, they'll say to you, I, I came, my grandfather came in illegally in 1958, but he was not a Chiapan, he was not a Oaxacan. So this is a different uh, diaspora, and a lot of people are much more worried about the Mexican-American community. And uh, I think it's kind of like the Black American uh, community about racial violence in um, Chicago, that the ultimate victims of that are Black yeah. girls, Black well, the ultimate victim of uh I mean, there is, it's dangerous to drive around here on Saturdays after right, right. on Sunday, but the ultimate victims are Mexican-Americans. They're the ones well, let's who come, live in let's the communities come, are being preyed upon. Let, let, let's come back to this. I mean, you got three groups on the table, uh, African-Americans, black Americans. I, I remember talking to Mark Krikori and you guys know Mark yeah. and his work. And I said, how come the Congressional Black Caucus isn't just going nuts on this? Your question, Conrad, you know, I mean, your jobs, your opportunities are being marginalized here. And he said, well, they might have objections, but the, you got to realize the pro-immigration uh, or pro-illegal lobby is now the most powerful part of the Democrat Party, stronger than feminists, stronger than Sierra Club, stronger than everything. That was his answer to it. I want to come back, though. The flood of people coming in, uh, 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 that's a number. Uh, I don't know how many of those people vote in 2022, <laughs> The number of people you're talking about reading the Fresno Bee or figuring out, uh, you know, those leaving the scene of the crime uh, accident numbers, uh, you know, isn't the number coming in from the border a greater number? So, oh, absolutely. Even, so are the Democrats right strategically in opening the border, even if folks where you are of uh, of Mexican descent 
uh, are are getting more and more alarmed and maybe moving more and more Republican? I think that's a good question. I think the downside and the upside for the Democrats are about even now, but it's it's okay. slowly working against them. You know, it's funny. Slowly working I, against them. Okay. Yeah, I can tell you what, just to show you, I live out here in rural California. A quarter mile, I have a lot of people who are illegal living in areas that are all illegal in the sense there's no, they have Romex wire, uh, porta potties, no sewage. Okay. When Trump shut the border, suddenly I noticed something within... Uh, Three months, when we walk around our orchard at night and I go out inside, there was no trash. There was no car seats. There were no washing machines. There were no uh, refuge. By that, I mean people just would take their liquid garbage and come out, look around. And that meant that they didn't have garbage hookup. They didn't want to pay, go to the dump. When Trump shut the border for two years, I didn't have to do any of that. And none of my neighbors did. Pick it up. And now... It's, it's just, I mean, it's quite striking. I I can't exaggerate enough to walk on your property in the middle of a beautiful almond orchard, turn the row and go down in the shade. And all of a sudden you see 35 feet of a car seat, a washer and dryer, uh, an SUV bumper, and then 25 paint cans and 50 fluorescent lights were, and what am I talking about? People who go around the illegal community and say, Hey, I'll take your garbage. Just give me five bucks in my truck. And then they come out at two in the morning and back the, their truck into an orchard vineyard and just throw it out. And then you're asked to what? Call the California EPA and have them come out. If you do that, you're going to be fined for toxic chemicals because you can't prove that you didn't do it. So you're stuck. You have to, I don't know what you do with it. You have to slowly put it in your bin and hope over weeks that you can get rid of it. I've done this so many times and it, it are bumping up. You know, I, I think I mentioned that about a month ago, I, I bumped into a person with an AR-15. He didn't speak a word of English. He was 200 yards into my, and I asked him what he was doing, and he said he was shooting squirrels. But I was unarmed. And that, but these types of incidents happen when you when the border is open. We're six yeah. hours from the border, and they didn't happen under Trump. Yeah, no, you've told us before, and it's a very graphic, very distressing. But you think in the long run, this is a down for the Democrats, even with the open border. I do. The long, yeah. the long run is how many years? Two, four. I'm hoping by the midterms. I think okay, really, a lot of a lot of Mexican American voters who are saying, "I have empathy for people of my own ethnic background, and I have relatives that want to come." But this stuff, the downside is, it's too dangerous. It's too yeah, dangerous. May I put in a word here for the average yeah. uh, American, mainly white, but including uh, other groups. Uh, who who aren't in areas that that are impinged upon particularly markedly in the way that you've just described, Victor. So, so people in Kansas or Minnesota or something, uh, they, uh, I agree, it's sort of theoretical to them. It doesn't affect them the way it does people closer to the southern border like yourself. But at a certain point, they are going to say, wait a minute, we just can't have this. I mean, you know, we need immigration, we want immigration, but we've got to have a border and we can't have people just streaming in in millions like this. I mean, surely the average American who isn't directly affected by it, I agree, he's obviously not not as apt to become angry about it as someone who suffers uh, what you do, people dumping trash. Yeah, and yeah, property yeah. Stuff. But don't they say, wait, I mean, this is the yeah. United States. Let me answer that first. Yes, eventually. But it takes a little time. Yeah. And I can't tell you how much time it takes because I want to draw on something. Yeah, that's really struck me and that resonates with me for obvious reasons, given my work, my job. 
these school board meetings. I mean, these offenses have been going on for a long time. Believe me, the stuff that's been, you know, sold, sold to the schools uh, has been going on for a long time. Took some incidents and took maybe critical race, whatever it is. But now, you know, you see these these meetings. They're not everywhere, but they're increasing in number. And I was talking to the woman who she's in charge of Moms for Liberty. It's not Republican, not Democrat. She said, we can't keep up with the request for chapters. So American people get it um, as they got it, you know, in, in, in World War II uh, and other times. Just it takes some time. Depends on the issue. Depends on how it's framed. Depends on the disposition. Depends on the economy. Depends on lots of things. That's my, that's my answer. But uh, yes, the people in Kansas are getting it. I'm not sure they're getting it strongly enough, uh, Conrad, but they will. And also the reaction. I mean, the left has always said that they like grassroots meetings and meet the, the real people and they believe in yeah. democracy. And as soon as these people show up and have legitimate questions in periods that are specifically designated for Q&A, what happens? They call the police and have them removed. Or op-ed yeah. writers say this is a conspiracy funded by X right-wing group or not. Let me give it to you from the Port Huron statement. <laughs> Since I was around then, uh, participatory democracy was the yeah. phrase. People yeah. have the right to participate in decisions that affect their lives and the lives of their children. And um, whatever the debate in the Big Lebowski, that went into the Port Huron statement, you know, became the basis of SDS and other things. Um, but th- that's what's going on in Loudoun County. Uh, yeah. And people are turning out, and you're right, liberals don't seem to like it. Yeah, they're worried, uh, when, so they uh, must be worried people. about something. They're not paranoid. They're worried for legitimate reasons that there's a lot of grassroots opposition to what they represent. Also, there's, saying, a class, course, there's a class yeah. element, don't you think, Bill and Conrad? Yes. That yes. A lot of the people who push this are wealthy, white, liberal, suburban, but also wealthy, professional minorities. They feel that, you know, they were exempt from criticism. And then on, upon examination, people are starting to, when they question them, they really see that they have no connection with real people. And, they're not and, interested and, and the in Democrats people. are getting stuck all together with the um, uh, the opprobrium of, of defending these things that people at all these school meetings are complaining about. I mean, the, the Democrats have, need not, in my opinion, have dug for themselves quite the hole that they have about CRT teaching in the armed forces and in the schools, but they have. They're identified with that. And the, this Trump phenomenon you referred to earlier, Victor, of, of effectively becoming the champion of the people, the working class and people who think like that. Uh, I mean, fine, you can disparage them as a bunch of Archie bunkers or something, but they, they are a huge number of people. And yeah. to, to me, I, I, the genius of Trump, in a way, is that he, he has rallied these people to the Republicans by, by pure capitalism by the traditional philosophy that inspired the country clubs you know like you, you, yeah. you show it every man a millionaire I mean, not literally but you know everyone is going to benefit from this uh, and so we, we will let people benefit from capitalism i was the genius of tim scott's uh, enterprise zones and so on i thought anyway and and um and, and the, the democrats are i mean we have discussed their tactics but they are potentially getting themselves into a long-term box here of being a permanent minority right uh in the last five or ten minutes we have jump in on this are they about to get into another box on crime um looking like crime inflation and and immigration all three of them it looks like the focus is on a lot of things uh with what the president's going to say we're we're talking today before the 
president's major speech on crime. But it looks like the emphasis on a lot of things, except uh, the perpetrators of crime. Yeah, uh, that they yeah. should go to jail I, I think or prison for a long time. They're frantic right now, and they're behind the curve. In, in San Francisco, that notorious video of the guy who rode his bike in and, and shoplifted with impunity, he was arrested. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was arrested yesterday for another crime. They actually arrested him, and they he's locked up. And then we have the mayor's race, where it looks like the, the crime fighter may win that race. I was in Denver Saturday. In San Francisco, or you mean New York? New York. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And then in, I was in Denver the other day speaking, and um, besides, there's nobody to work, so the planes are all late getting there. Uh, I went in, and then Andy Nguyen, the uh, photographer and kind of investigative reporter of Antico, was there speaking as well. And Antifa surrounded the Hyatt where we were. And I wandered out there just to look at what was going on. The whole downtown, which was beautiful, is boarded up. The mall, which was very immaculate two years ago, is full of trash. Uh, I talked to some people on the street, and they said the quality of life is, is gone. And then what was fascinating was this very skinny Antifa person, when the fire truck came, he got on top of the cab and was doing all this damage to this beautiful fire truck, and nobody did a thing, including the firemen inside the truck. But I was just talking to people along the street, and they were furious. People were saying to me, "Why don't they arrest him?" And then I had yeah. to go to the airport, and the driver said, "I, I, you can't." I he called and said, "I can't pick you up there. You go over there." But then he said to me, "Hold on, I got to go." And he just went over there and started screaming. He was so angry. And what I'm getting at is that this crime, like the border, is beyond comprehension now. Nobody in their right mind ever thought that you would be letting felons out. Uh, the day they committed these crimes and people everywhere are angry and it's growing. And it's sort of like Nixon in 68. When I remember I was in high school, everybody said, Richard Nixon's going to run. They said, ah, he got wiped out after in California. He couldn't even get governor. He has no chance. Hubert Humphrey's a good guy. And it was law and order. And that's what got him elected. Yeah. And I think we're getting to that. So same th- point. Th- that and I have a plan in Pat's pocket of his jacket, you know, for Vietnam. A, a, so a I, secret, so a the, secret plan. Yeah. So the theme here, I, I, if I can, is that sooner or later, the American people with the, with them, maybe some Democrats, will get fed up with China uh, and want to take serious action, as they are now doing in the schools, uh, will are beginning to do in regard to the border, uh, and will do very soon, I think, in regard to crime. Uh, it uh, kind of proves the Federalist, right, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, Madison, Madison said that finally that, you know, the, the, all these auxiliary precautions, he said, are good, but it is the good sense and virtue. Of if the you American can get a people. bill, don't you think it requires a, a good Republican leader dash yes. leaders who can yes. articulate why people are angry and take the attention away from themselves and onto the problem? Speaking and, of, of Denver, it was interesting to me to see that straw poll, you know, but not scientific, but the scientific polls don't, aren't any good either, from what we know. But it was interesting to see that Ron DeSantis actually went head to head with Donald Trump and came out ahead. I thought that yeah, is, very that, that guy has a tremendous, uh, uh, you know, he's reached a terrific rate of knots, DeSantis. I mean, he, he's he is the one person who can say Trumpism without Trump and and yeah. and make it work. I mean, Victor's exactly. right. Trump <laughs> hate. And and racism is all the Democrats have. So if you give them Trump policy with a guy who's sort of Trump-ish, but but in the good way, but not in the way that offends people, and he fights. They, he doesn't just take roller. it. Yeah, no, he's he active. fights. He fights. He, he's not pro. He's not reactive. He's proactive. He fights very he fights like Trump. Trump does. 
but he yeah. doesn't he doesn't right. incur that anger from the and, swing and the voters. democrats are already at, uh, attacking him as being like trump he's big and is sort of a physical bully and they're, they're trying to associate him with trump and that's like, big that no big? i know but that's what they're saying I, I had a debate here with david from a while ago and that's what he was saying i said no he's big david what are you talking about but <laughs> by the way may i say one other thing just while we're on this thing uh, uh, going back for a moment to the china thing the what however slack the europeans are and 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 since the era of Mitron, thatcher and cole have been very slack but um however weak they may be if the united states takes the position those who do not join us in sanctions on china will be denied access to the u.s market they'll all get in line right away uh, european avarice will take precedence over its cowardice i, I just, think that is we have we have the cojones to do that Say that. Well, I, I doubt if Biden does, but the, but the, okay. a serious. Well, it's even it's even it's even worse than that, Conrad. Because if we just go back to the Trump energy policy, and we haven't dismantled it entirely, where we're self sufficient in gas and oil, and we're the largest gas exporter in the world, we really don't need. I mean, we do need it for world commerce and straits of our moves. But when Iran, Iran threatens this and that, we're basically sending troops over there to keep forty percent of the oil supplies to Europe free and open, and, and Japan. And yes, in Japan, and 50% of the export market of China to go in, uh, 50% of the Middle East export is in, uh, of their export imports are Chinese exports. So a lot of Americans would say at some point, the next time the Iranians want threaten to close it and the Europeans were not on board with us, we'd say, you know what? Go ahead and do it. We're not going to go send a bunch of carriers in there to keep this stuff open so that the Europeans can attack us while China uh, exports and they import. It doesn't make sense. And, and Israel, Israel's almost self-sufficient, isn't it? It is. It is self-sufficient. From Absolutely. Yeah. 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 All right. I'm going to close it off. Uh, you know, since I left government, I've been uh, besieged with all these education products in the school and they all sell it the same way. They say this product is so good that when the bell rings, the kids still want to stay in the chair because it's such an <laughs> interesting. That's what you guys were. I said 40. And if I don't call it, obviously, it's a good sign that you enjoy these podcasts and discussions. I do. I think they're great. And uh, and I thank you both. That does it for today's show. Want to join the discussion? Email this show at scholarsandsensepodcast at gmail.com. Share the show with your family and friends. Subscribe, rate, review. Conrad Black and Victor Davis Hansen, I am Bill Bennett, and we'll talk again soon.